of the book of Daniel. We're going to take a look at the entire first chapter. You're going to have to keep up with me. The book of Daniel. And uh, I will do my best to be short. I will not uh, tell you that I'll be short, but I'll do my best to be short. And uh, we'll have a great time in God's word this evening. The book of Daniel, chapter number one. It's uh, bittersweet. Uh, most of you know this is uh, my last time being able to preach to you as your youth pastor. And uh, we're looking forward to, to me and my family, I, not ironically, but coincidentally, moving out to the West Coast and being part of the staff at West Coast Baptist College. And uh, it's, um, it's, really, uh, it's really been crazy trying to get everything done within the past couple months. But I just want to tell you we love you. We love you very much. And uh, we're thankful for your support in our life, and we're thankful so much that you gave us this precious opportunity. You gave us a wonderful opportunity to be able to serve you and serve your teens and to serve the choir, and uh, we are forever grateful to you. The Bible says in the book of Daniel, verse number one, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasurer house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and the princes, children in whom was no blemish but well favored, and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belshazzar, and unto Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself, Now God had brought Daniel into the favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me in danger, uh, uh, which are, I'm sorry, then shall ye make me in danger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had said over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So I consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days." And at the end of the ten days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzer took away the portion of their meat. I really find this verse actually to be pretty funny. That Melzer took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. 
And for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the ten days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in his, all his realm. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. This evening, I want to take a look at that verse, verse number 20 specifically, that says that these children, these, these men, these teenagers were found better. They were better. Not just better, but they were ten times better. Specifically, we're going to kind of key in on Daniel's life this evening, and we're going to find three factors that made Daniel better. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear God, just thank you so much for everything you've done for us, and I ask that you bless as we go through uh, this lesson in your word this evening. God, I pray that it be a blessing to our church family, and uh, Lord, to the teenagers that are here, to the adults that are here, Lord, for uh, the children that are here. Lord, I, I pray that it bless, that it help, that it be an encouragement. Lord, that it be convicting where we need to be convicted. God, I love you. I love you so much. Bless this message. We love you. In your name pray. Amen. There are things that are subjectively better, but not always subjectively better. And what I mean by that is that if you like Dunkin' Donuts, raise your hand. If you're a Dunkin' Donuts fan, raise your hand. If you're a Starbucks fan, raise your hand. Okay, some of you are like, ooh, ooh. I personally actually don't really care, to be honest with you. Um, if I have the money, um, and which I hardly ever do, um, I like to go to Starbucks. But if I don't have money, Dunkin' Donuts is just as good to me. So when it comes right down to it, I don't really find one better than the other. But I'm sure some of you would get up here and yell at me and be like, no way! Starbucks tastes like a grease pit or something of that nature. That's always what I hear. I don't really know. I, I'm not really kind of the big coffee drinker. I drink coffee when everyone else is drinking coffee. coffee so, I mean, you know, it's, it is what it is. Some of you would, uh, you'd rather have Pepsi over Coke. Some of you would rather have Coke over Pepsi. I mean, the beauty of, 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 of a major league sports is the fact that uh, uh, one person likes a team better than the other. The only objective is that the Philadelphia Eagles are the greatest team on earth. That's the only but I'm sure there's someone in the back doing my sound right now that would definitely uh, deny that. So, When it comes right down to it, there are things that are subjectively better. They're better to you, but not necessarily better to someone else. But it came right down to it in this chapter, we find uh, gentlemen that weren't just better. They were objectively ten times better. It wasn't just the king that, was, that saw it, but it was everyone else that saw it as well. And I think there was definitely some factors in the life of these uh, three gentlemen that really helped them to become objectively better than their peers around them. It's interesting in our life, I wonder even uh, amongst my se uh, myself and my peers, if the world would look at us as, as Christians and say, wow, there's something better about their life. There's something better about uh, the God that they serve. There's something better about the love that they have for Jesus Christ. There's something objectively better. And I need that. 
I mean, that's kind of the goal in the Christian life, is it not? When you think about what Jesus said, we're supposed to be uh, lights set on a hill. We're supposed to be a candle. Uh, we're supposed to be able to shine our good works so uh, the lost may see and glorify our Father in heaven. Is that not our goal as a Christian? When it comes right down to it, these gentlemen, uh, their works, their actions allowed those around them to see that they were better. But I wonder this evening, I wonder just simply speaking, if someone were to look at your life, that they'd see the God that you serve, they'd see the love that you have for Jesus Christ, and they'd say, there's something better about that person's life than what I have in my life. Would they say, your life just looks better to the glory of God? This evening, I want to point out to you that really in the book of Daniel we find these kids, they're kids. They're, they're not adults. They're children, and we're going to get to that in just a second. They're children that are literally carried away into Babylon. And, and not only that, but they're the first wave of kids carried into Babylon. When you think about the nation of Judah, understand that a hundred years before, there was a man by the name of Hezekiah. And some of you might remember Hezekiah. You'll remember good things about him. You'll remember how he prayed and God spared his life. But not only did God spare his life, but he prayed. And, and literally, while the Assyrians were surrounding the city of Jerusalem uh, with, I believe, it was 185,000 soldiers, he prayed and God sent an angel. And in eight hours, that angel killed every single one of those 185. 85,000 troops of the Assyrians that were surrounded Jerusalem. We remember those things about Hezekiah, but sometimes I think we forget about the negative in his life. Hezekiah actually became filled up with pride towards the end of his life, and he decided, you know what, we, we're pretty powerful. We've got God on our side, and, and it became more about them than it did about God, and he began to show other nations kind of the treasures that were actually in God's house. And in fact, he took them into the temple, and he showed them some of the gold and precious gems and things of that nature, and Hezekiah literally showed the Babylonians some of those precious gems. And if you'll remember straight in the book of 2 Kings, in the book of 2 Chronicles, it was prophesied that those gems, as well as those that were living in Jerusalem at the time, would be taken into Babylon for the sin of showing what was in God's temple, because that was dedicated to God Almighty and not to anyone else. Understand that 100 years later, this prophecy is being fulfilled. Unfortunately, from Hezekiah on down, the kings just became uh, more wicked and more wicked and more wicked until we hit Jehoi uh, Jehoiakim, and uh, man, he's just, he's terrible too. So you have Nebuchadnezzar who's literally surrounding the city and he comes in in this first invasion in 605 BC and he comes in and he literally takes the princes and, and, and the young gentlemen that were a little bit more wealthy, a little bit more well-to-do, and he takes them into Babylon with him. And so here we find Daniel and we find uh, the other uh, children of Judah and they're coming into Babylon. And understand, understand that these kids, they don't have anyone there. They don't have any Israelites there to tell them, listen, you've got to watch out for this. You've got to be careful of this. They're the first timers. They're going in alone. All they have is one another. And so here we find Daniel, we find him in this mess. And number one, the first factor that I want to see that made them better is his dilemma, Daniel's dilemma. Of course, we just talked about it, that he's taken captive. 
He's taken captive. Verse number one, in the third year, the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house. Remember what I just talked about with Hezekiah, the vessels, the vessels that weren't Hezekiah's to be shown in the first place. The king of Judah into his town with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto uh, Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and the princes. And here we find this collection of the king's seed and the princes to be part of the collection that included Daniel. He's a captive. He's a captive. But letter B is not just a captive, but he's a child. He's a child. I think of us sometimes when I think of this, this being a captive and being a child, and I think most of us would probably say we're still young in the faith. No matter how old we are, we're still young. I think when it comes right down to it, we're all trying to grow. And I think when, it, when you take a look at your life, I think part of the reason sometimes that others might not look at us and say, well, they've got a better relationship with God, or man, something's different about them, is maybe because you're captives to some sins in your life. There are some things that have some serious strongholds. There are some things that are seriously pulling you down from serving the Lord. And I think the Apostle Paul would even agree with that. In fact, when you look at the uh, Romans chapter number 7, he said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh for weapons of our warfare. I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong verse. My fault. He says, For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, there's things that I'd like to do for God, but... Man, I, I don't do those because of the flesh. And there's things that I don't want to do, but I end up doing it. It's a stronghold. I'm, I'm almost captive to it. But there's hope. Because the Bible says, for though, here's the actual verse, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. My friend, what are you captive to tonight? What are you captive to? The Lord has the power to pull down that stronghold. The Lord has given grace to be able to tear down that problem that you have in your life. I, I think about even myself and the different things that I struggle with and deal with. And, and I know that uh, I've come to the Lord and say, Lord, it's happening again. Lord, I need your grace and I need your power. And every single time I find that God gives grace. And every single time I find that God gives power, and every single time I come and I realize I can't do it on my own, they sang about it tonight. There's where God's grace is. The Bible says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I think of the fact that, again, they're children. When you look at this passage, Nebuchadnezzar is literally setting them up to uh, be able to work as officials. And in fact, there was a verse earlier in the chapter that says that he's going to set them apart for three years. 
If you'll actually look into history, you'll find that the Persians kind of utilized the same method. The Persians would actually take uh, 14-year-olds and they would take them and they'd train them for three years until they were 17 and then they'd place them in, in positions of office around the kingdom. This was a tradition that didn't start with Persian. In fact, this was a tradition that started with the Babylonians. Daniel was more than likely 14 and 15 years old. I think of, uh, where is he? Daniel over there. Daniel, do me a favor. Stand up, bud. Daniel's turning 15 on Tuesday. Happy birthday, Daniel. Daniel's turning 15. Think of that. He's taking captive. Think of that. He's taking captive in a different land. You can be seated. Thank you, sir. He's taking captive in a different land. Think of Daniel having to stand on his own. I know it's kind of ironic because, or coincidental, I should say, uh, because, you know, Daniel and Daniel. But anyway, I, I think of that. And I think, man, as a 14-year-old, man, I can barely tie my own shoes. Just kidding, I could tie my shoes, okay? I still use the bunny ears, you know, and, and loop the loop. Man, when I was 14, I, I couldn't even do my own wash. My mom was teaching me at the time, okay? All right, don't get, don't get too hard on me, all right? I couldn't do anything on my own. And here, here we find this 14-year-old, and, and literally we're going to get to it, and he's standing up for himself, and he's standing up for what he believes, and, and he's making the right choices. I think of how many we have in here that have been saved for years and years and years. Do you still struggle? Still struggle with taking that stance for Christ? My friends, it's, it's going to come down to a day where America doesn't look like the America we live in now. And the America we live in now is not really looking too good anyway. There's going to come a day where you're going to be challenged in the faith. He was taken captive. He was a child and he was challenged. He was challenged. Right away when he get there, when he got there, and you, you think, man, this, this guy is, is taking captive. They're, they're probably just going to use him for kind of drone work. You know, they're, they're just going to use him to, to do some mindless work, some lifting, things of that nature. No, 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 no. That's not what they wanted them for. They wanted them to be princes and officials inside the land. They wanted the best of the best here. So Daniel, not, he didn't have to just go and, and kind of do work and be done with work after the day and, and that'd be it. This is a kid that's going to literally be challenged. In fact, right away he's challenged with having to make a choice between what to do to, to follow his peers and just kind of do what he's told no matter what or to take a stand and do what God has him to do. Daniel's dilemma. You know, I was thinking about how we live in a world where you're not going to find it to be easy to be a Christian in a couple of years. You're not. I, I don't, I don't want to discourage you, of course. But the fact is, you're not going to find it to be easy. In fact, the devil, as a roaring lion, is right now seeking whom he may devour. And you know who he's going to devour? The weak. The weak in the faith. That's who he's going to devour. He's going to devour those who can't stand for themselves on God's holy word. Is that you? Is that you? See, the Bible gives you advice there. It says, be sober, be vigilant in that case. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Daniel's dilemma, but I also see Daniel's decision. Daniel's decision. We've been um, working with Evelyn lately on, on obedience and uh, she's, she's uh, almost three. She'll be three in a couple months. And, and uh, man, she's the sweetest kid. And, uh, but sometimes, sometimes, I got to tell you, it's frustrating, you know. And uh, some of you are like, oh, Pastor Nix is so cute and stuff. Yeah, okay, all right, I get it. All right, all right, all right. 
But, you know, sometimes there are, are times where we tell her, Evelyn, uh, can you do this for mommy or daddy? And she just looks at us. It's almost like she's looking at us like, maybe if I just stare at them long enough, they'll change their mind. Maybe if I don't do it long enough, I won't actually have to do it. And it's like she's arguing and debating in her mind. And, and I'm not even debating the fact that she's smart enough to think that way. She's a smart kid. She's probably smarter than me at this point, all right? I mean, honestly, uh, that's not very hard, actually. But when it comes right down to it, she's, she's pretty smart. Uh, even today, even today, we were sitting at the table with my parents, and, and uh, my dad had made some hot dogs, and, and that we had cut those hot dogs up. And, and my parents have a pool in their backyard, and, and uh, we were telling her, hey, once you finish your meal, you can go in the pool once you finish your hot dogs, but you have to finish your hot dogs first. And she just kind of looked at my wife, and it was like this blank stare, like, maybe if I just look long enough, I won't have to do it, <laughs> you know? But we tell her, you need to make a decision right away to obey. You need to make a decision right away to do what mommy and daddy says. And, you know, it's hard to tell her that, you know, what if someday she was in direct danger and, and I said, Evelyn, come here, Evelyn, come here, and she stared and didn't do what I said. It's hard to tell her that. She, she won't understand that. But you understand. But, you know, I think sometimes God has given us his commands and sometimes we just stare at his word and we argue with God in our minds. God, do you, I mean, do you really want me to do that, you know? I mean, do I really have to? I mean, it's 2019, Lord. Come on, you know, I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best here, Lord. I, come on, Lord. I, you know, I, and we argue with God, but what he really wants us to do is right away, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I'll make a decision to follow you right away. Yes, Lord. I'm not going to wait. Yes, Lord. His decision was to have purpose. Verse number 8, but Daniel a purpose in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat. Now, this is an interesting passage of scripture. You think, well, well what's, what's the big deal about eating meat? I mean, meat's good. You know, that's good stuff. Well, when you think about the meat here, the meat was more than likely, in fact, it was, matter of fact, it, it, it was offered to idols that existed in Babylon. And the children of Israel weren't supposed to eat of the meat that was offered to idols. But not only that, not only that, we find that in Leviticus that the children of Israel weren't supposed to eat really bloody meats. And so understanding that and knowing all of that, Daniel probably said, there's no way that I can eat this and be okay with my conscience. There's no way that I can do this. There's no way that I can defile myself when I know what's right to do. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is... Exactly. He decided to have a purpose. He said, listen, my life exists for a purpose. Christian today, does your life exist for the purpose of Christ? Does your life exist for the purpose of carrying the cross wherever you go? Does your life exist for the purpose of being a shining light to this very dark world? Daniel said, I've got a purpose here. I know I'm a captive, and I know this is a desperate situation. I know I'm just a child, but I've got a purpose to serve the Lord. And he purposed that he wouldn't defile himself. He decided to have a purpose, but he also decided to have a plan. Let me, let me encourage you that a purpose without a plan is a plan to fail. A purpose without a plan is a plan to fail. You might have purpose, and you might be excited, but have a plan. Have a plan. 
I love that, that Daniel, he, he wasn't afraid. He was 14 and he wasn't afraid. Uh, I remember um, when I was younger, I used to be kind of nervous about ordering my own food at fast food. How many of you are like that? You know, you get up to the fast food and you're like, I don't know what to say here, you know. And, uh, but Daniel, I mean, he had no fear here. He had no fear. They told him, you're going to eat this meat for three years. You're going to eat this meat and you're going you're gonna to learn and you're going to be better. And he said, no, no, I got a better idea. I got a better idea. I, I can't eat that. So here's my plan. Give us pulse to eat, pulse and water, and we'll be fine. And uh, the prince of the eunuchs is like, eh, I'm not really sure about this, because this goes bad. My head's on the table, literally. So Daniel said, listen, I tell you what, give us 10 days. Give us 10 days. I've got a plan here. Give us 10 days. Try us. The Bible says, try us. Prove thy servants, verse number 12, look at it. Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, 10 days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Basically, a vegetable and water diet. My wife and I, occasionally, we go on this diet called Whole30, and we're on it right now, and it's pretty much what it is. It's, it's meat, vegetables, and water, and that's it. Literally, that's it. It's annoying is what it is. I can tell you, man. And, and Daniel's saying, I'm not even going to have meat. Just give me pulse and water, and that's it. I, I don't know how this guy did it. I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to do it. But Daniel said, oh, I've got a purpose, I've got a plan, and God's going to take care of us. He decided to have a plan, but he decided to proceed. I find a lot of Christians that have a purpose, and I might even have a plan, but they don't ever move forward with it. Take a look at verse number 14. It says, So he consented to them in this matter and proved them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their countenance appeared fair and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. He proceeded with the plan. He didn't just kind of back off when things got hard. In day number three or four, he didn't say, I'm done with this. This is disgusting. <laughs> In day number five, he didn't just quit. In day number six, he didn't give out. In day number seven, he kept going. In day number eight, he knew God had a plan. He knew God had a purpose for his life, and he wasn't going to defile himself. I wonder when things start to get hard, when the fire gets a little hot, when you face those dilemmas in life, decisions, if you back off, if you're the one that says, I can't do this anymore. Tonight, this message is for you. Tonight, this message is for you because I always said this to teenagers and a certain college teacher of ours used to say, today is the first day of the rest of your life. It's so true. Today, you can start over. Today, you can start afresh. Today, you can start becoming that person Christ intended you to be by His grace. Daniel's dilemma, Daniel's decision. And I, I, I love this quote from uh, Rand Hummel. He said, The dynamic tension between what God commands you to do and what you depend on God to do is very interesting study. True lion-like character, character that lasts, combines our efforts with God's enablement. You must work like it all depends on you and trust like it all depends on God. I love that statement. You must work like it all depends on you. You must proceed with the plan, proceed with the purpose, proceed with what God has told you to do. Work, 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 and trust like it depends on Him. 
God, I, I don't know what you're doing here. I don't know why you've put me here. I don't know why I'm going through this trial that I'm going through. I don't understand it, Lord, but I'll keep moving forward. By your grace, I'll be better. And last, this evening, I see his development. His development. Verse number 15 says, And at the end of the ten days, their countenance appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzer took away the portion of their meat and gave wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. In other words, all the other guys, he took their meat away and their wine away and gave them pulse too. He said, all right, it's working for these guys, so you guys do this too. I can just imagine the faces of those other guys. Like, come on guys, are you serious right now? Seriously, you're going to take my meat from me? <laughs> I can just imagine. I mean, I'm going to eat pulse all the time. Verse number 17, as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. They were the example. He gave an example, Daniel did. He was that city set on a hill. He was that candle that wasn't going to be hid. He was the light shining in darkness. He was the one that everyone saw and someone said, that guy is better. Something's better about him. He was the example at work. Are you the example? Amongst your family members, are you the example? Or when you get with family, you kind of back off because you've said a lot about Christ in the past and they just haven't accepted it. And in fact, it's been kind of hard to, to talk about Jesus with them as of late. In fact, you've backed off because they've really gotten on to you about it. And you say, it's not worth my trust. It is. It is worth it. It was worth it for a guy named Daniel who was in captivity as a child. It was worth it for him to eat the pulse. It was worth it for him not to defile himself. And it was worth it for him for 73 plus years. 73 plus years the book of Daniel covers to take a stand for Christ. It was worth it when he said, Daniel, you can't pray. Daniel, you can't pray. And he got on his knees and prayed in the face of the lions. It was worth it for him. It was worth it. Because God made him better. He was the example. Not only that, but his gifts were extended. In verse number 17, I love this, and as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. I believe that God saw that they were responsible and that they can handle it. And so God extended their gifts. God said, I'm going to give you these gifts to be able to utilize for my glory. I believe that, I, I really do, I believe that God puts us in positions of leadership and God puts us in position, positions of service as we mature in Christ. When God sees that we're ready and responsible enough to be able to handle those things. I truly believe that. I believe that God sees our faithfulness. And God puts us in a position to be able to witness to someone else because he sees that we're faithful. I believe that. I believe that because I see it in this chapter. God gave them skills and wisdom and understanding. We'll see that even in the next chapter, chapter number two, Nebuchadnezzar has this crazy dream. The only one that could decipher was Daniel. Why? Because he was perfect with the little things. He was faithful with the little things. He was faithful with the little things like pulse and water. 
He was faithful not to uh, defile himself. He made a faithful choice and his gifts were extended. And last this evening, and I'm done, his God was exalted. His God was exalted. You know, it's really interesting that it all comes back to God. You know, I, I, <laughs> I find it interesting that even in the punishment of Judah, God is exalted. Even in their chastisement, God would still be exalted and lifted up. Take a look at chapter number two. We find that Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and no one's able to decipher it. But take a look at verse number 19. Verse number 19 is so interesting. It says, Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might and has made known unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou hast now made known unto us the king's matter. God is exalted. Even in this dilemma where Daniel's this boy who's taken captive, Daniel's just this kid, even though everyone around him, except for those other boys, those three other boys, and you know what's really interesting about them too? They've got a pretty big story in the other part of Daniel too. I think you'll Know that one about the furnace and the fire? It's really interesting that God allowed them to be better. Objectively. So that eventually his name will be glorified. My friend, that's what it's all about. Teenager, that's what it's all about. God's name being glorified in your life. Parents, that's what it's all about. When you're wondering, why should I be faithful and why should it take the kids to church? And, and man, it's a struggle to get out the door in the summer. It's a struggle to make sure that, man, we're all getting into the car at the same time. And, and man, we're, we're driving to church and, and Susie's punching Michael and, and Michael's crying because Susie's really strong. And man, you know, you've got the baby who's screaming because he's hungry. And, and, and I'm starting to understand all of that, by the way. <laughs> it's a struggle. It's a struggle to be faithful. But God has called you to be faithful. And when people look at your life later on and they see your kids and they see them joyfully serving the Lord, you'll think back to those times in that minivan driving along and thinking, oh my goodness, I don't know if I can do this for another Sunday. I don't know if I can keep this up. Man, I don't know if I can uh, keep up this, this, this parenting role. I'm just, I'm struggling with it. But you keep going by the grace of God, trusting that it's all in God's hands. And man, God makes it better in your life. God makes you better. And your kids look back and you say, thank you, thank you. Thank you for serving the Lord. Grandparents, you think, man, my kids are gone. I can just relax and do my own thing, fade away. But God has a special, special plan for you as well. Maybe God has given you more time to serve him. 
Maybe God has given you more time so that you can spend time glorifying him through maybe uh, taking a day and going to your neighbor's house and, and sharing the gospel. Maybe it's in your family, how they all look up to you and, and you decide, I'm not going to defile myself. I'm going to keep going faithfully so that my family has someone to look to. My family is someone to look to and to see Jesus in. That's the point. That's the point. So God can be glorified. Are you living your life so that his name could be magnified? Because that is a better life. That is a ten times better life. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear God, just thank you so much for everything you've done for us. And Lord, I, I don't know if this has been a help, blessing to, to anyone, but Lord, I know that it blessed me, Lord, studying and putting it together. And I know that it touched my heart, so thank you. I just want to thank you. And thank you for being a blessing, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us your help and your grace. And Lord, thank you so much for being merciful. Even with... These children of Israel, Lord, we saw how merciful you are, even in captivity, using them in a mighty way. God, I just ask that if there's any here that don't know you as their personal Savior, maybe that even though this message wasn't really geared towards that, but tonight can be that night. Lord, maybe they can come and, and know your love in a more personal way. We love you, Lord. Thank you so much for everything you do, you've done for us. In your name, pray. Amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing. There's room.